December 1999, Tacoma, Washington. Two-year-old Tika went missing from a local bowling alley. She has not been found to this day almost 23 years later. Many believe Tika to be still alive. In this area, there were many reports of attempted abductions as well as a suspect sighting. But nothing has ever located Tika Lewis. What happened to her that night and where is she today? Tacoma police received 700 tips in the early day of the investigation. They still have at least six binders full of documents relating to the investigation. Tika's disappearance remains the largest case file in Tacoma's cold case unit. This is Tika's story. Just give me my baby back. Tacoma police and FBI agents hope this flyer will help in their search for two-year-old Tika Lewis. The Tacoma girl has been missing for 38 hours now. The ground search that took place all day yesterday is now over. Over 300 people in that bowling alley that night and not one out of 300 people didn't see nothing. It's hard to believe. Today, close to two dozen detectives will be canvassing a one-mile radius near this bowling alley, handing out the flyer. They will also be checking with some residents in the area. I've missed 14 birthdays, and it's time to bring her home. Give me a Christmas miracle. Tika Latrice Lewis was born July 4th, 1996, to parents Teresa English and Robert Lewis. Tika would be the couple's first child together, with Teresa bringing two other children with her from a previous relationship. The couple would welcome another child into the family, Tamika, by the end of 1998, a baby sister for Tika who loved doting over her. Unfortunately, it would be around this time that Robert would be arrested on theft charges, and because of these charges, he'd be sentenced to a four-year sentence. Being a partner to a prisoner would not be easy, especially with four children, and Teresa and Robert's relationship would break down. In January 1999, when this story takes place, Teresa would be in a new relationship, and Robert would be serving his sentence at the McNeil Island Correction Centre. Tika was a very shy little girl and never strayed far from her mother's side. She would protest if anyone tried to pick her up. She only wanted hugs from her mama. Teresa would later state lovingly in media interviews, quote, She wouldn't go outside on her own. She's a mama's girl. She sleeps with me in her blanket, and if I'm not there, she's crying. And if she doesn't have her blankie, she's crying. Unquote. This may have been partly due because Teresa was a single parent for much of Tika's life, so Tika looked at her mother for all the love and attention which Teresa gave in abundance. Photos are out there of Tika. You would not see a more healthy-looking or happy little girl. She was obviously very well taken care of. Tika did have some health problems, however. She had eczema, which caused light discoloration to her face. As a byproduct of this, Tika also suffered from asthma and allergies for which she had an inhaler for. Teresa is Chippewa Native American, and she believed in using natural remedies to complement the more traditional Western medicine. So Tika would regularly be treated at Indian Health Practitioners, a tribal health authority in nearby Pulup. Saturday, January 23, 1999. It was a busy night for the new Frontier Lanes bowling alley on the 4700 block of Centre Street in Tacoma, Washington. 
It was not only a popular night for families to get together for a night of bowling, it was also league night. Not a space was free in the parking lot. The bowling alley had 32 lanes, a bar, restaurant and a little arcade area. There were people everywhere. Among the patrons there on this evening was Teresa English and her children, including two-year-old Tika. It was a rare night out for the busy family. Over a dozen extended family members were bowling. The family had rented two lanes, number seven and eight. Tika was dressed in a green Tweety Bird sweatshirt or T-shirt. It is reported as both. White sweatpants, black and white Air Jordan sneakers... She was proudly carrying a clear purse with a fish design. Her purse held her favourite candies, Starburst, and some quarters that were a leftover Christmas gift from her uncle. Tika was drawn to the claw machine with its flashing lights and bundle of toys. Her uncle went with her, using some of the quarters to win Tika a stuffed animal. Tika, being the sweet and loving little girl she was, she went straight back to her mother to announce she had won the toy for her baby sister. Tika would then head back to the arcade area, where her older cousins were playing games. Tika, being only two years old, was far too young to actually play too, but she enjoyed just being a part of it and pretending. Teresa was standing at the counter that separated the bowling lanes from the restaurant and arcade area. That way she could watch the children as well as watch the adults bowl. Teresa remembered last seeing Tika around 10.15pm, only a few feet away. She was sitting in the seat of a car racing video game, Cruising World, and eating her Starburst candies. According to Teresa's sister Dawn, quote, It must have been 10 to 15 seconds that she looked away. It was that close. Someone had to be watching. Unquote. Teresa had turned around to watch her boyfriend bowl, and when she turned back, she could no longer see her daughter. Now, most parents have been in this situation at least once. You are at the park or a shopping centre, you turn your head for a couple of seconds and when you look back, your child is gone. The panic you feel in those moments, seconds seem to go on for hours. Thankfully, in almost every situation you find your child, distracted and playing with a toy, gazing lovingly at the displays in the candy aisle, or hiding under racks of clothing, playing a game of hide-and-seek with you. And that's exactly what Teresa thought in that moment. Maybe Tika was playing a game of hide-and-seek. She quickly scanned the small arcade area, looking in between each machine in case Tika was trying to play hide-and-seek. She then checked the bathrooms. No Tika. At this point, family members realised there was something wrong, and they helped Teresa search all around the building. One of the bowling alley's employees happened to be an off-duty police officer, and he would be the one to report Tika missing to Tacoma Police. Now, this is where details get a little sketchy. The story the bowling alley and the police tell seems to contradict the patrons at the bowling alley that night. The bowling alley claims that within minutes they announced on the PA system that a little girl was missing, and they encouraged people to look for her that they turned the bowling system off while patrons checked under tables, in their personal areas, and helped the family search the parking lot. But then I've also read that many patrons never heard this announcement, with many simply leaving without even knowing what was going on. 
Also, despite the bowling alley having surveillance cameras all over the interior and exterior of the bowling alley, for reasons that have never been explained, these cameras weren't turned on on this night. And then after the police arrived about 15 minutes after Tika was last seen, they claim they searched cars as they left the bowling alley. And while some people did remember their trunks and back seats being searched that night, others don't remember this happening at all. This potentially meant Tika's abductor could have left without being stopped. The police and bowling alley are heavily criticised for not putting the bowling alley on lockdown and ensuring everyone was checked before they left. Regardless, I don't want to be too critical because it was a different time and it's really easy to judge an investigation with hindsight. From my research, it does seem the police did everything they could to find Tika as soon as possible. Knowing that time was of the essence, a roadblock was set up and searchers scoured the area around the bowling alley. Tracking dogs were used to search for Tika's scent. A helicopter scanned the neighbourhood with an infrared sensor looking for heat sources that might be a lost toddler. The local landfill was searched, but after exhaustingly searching a one and a half mile radius from the bowling alley for more than 15 hours, nothing of note was found. If you find anything at all that you think is of interest, don't pick it up. Four dozen volunteers stand shoulder to shoulder. The other two teams are ready. Searching for clues into the disappearance of two-year-old Tika Lewis. It's just the desire to help people out. Just want to come out and do what we can to help find the little girl. She had a Tweety Bird uh, white and green uh, t-shirt on. She had white... uh, uh, Pants. Tika Lewis was last seen here at a nearby bowling alley. Officers wanted to make absolutely sure that she didn't wander off by herself. Police questioned all the local sex offenders, who were all cleared. No Amber Alert would be issued, because even though Amber Alerts were active by the time Tika went missing, this system started in 1996. Unfortunately, Washington hadn't initiated the process yet. Actually, many states would take years before they implemented the Amber Alert system. 2005, I believe. At 5pm the following day, Pierce County Sheriff Sergeant Cindy Fajero would front the media, quote, There's no concrete evidence about what happened. She simply vanished into thin air, unquote. The early theory was that perhaps Tika had wandered off on her own. Only six feet from the arcade area was a side exit fire door. However, this door was very large and heavy and would have been far too much for a two-year-old to open on her own. And it seemed unlikely even for an adult for some reason to open the fire door for her. It was very cold that night. We are talking January in Washington, the middle of winter. That would be reason enough for Tika not to choose to go outside on her own. Besides, she would not have let her mother out of her sight. By the Sunday, the police were definitely doubting this line of investigation, said Lieutenant John Houston. We don't know the circumstances. She could have gotten into a car to get warm and been driven away unintentionally. Or she could have been taken. But it seems she did not walk away on her own. Unquote. Like with all missing child cases, Tika's parents and family were looked into. Now we know for certain Tika was definitely at the bowling alley that night, 
Many of the patrons remember seeing her and there were simply too many family members there, around 20, to synchronise a concocted story, especially this long, 23 years later, without anyone slipping up or drunkenly spilling family secrets. Plus, Teresa lacked the motive to carry out the crime and really didn't have the means to do so. Teresa would even voluntarily submit for two polygraph examinations to clear her name, which she, of course, passed. The only reason she was given the second polygraph test was because police had more questions they wanted to run by her, not because of any deception or presumption of guilt. But it wasn't only Teresa. Other family members offered to take polygraphs too to clear Teresa's name. Tika's father, Robert, was also quickly cleared as a suspect. He was still incarcerated and wouldn't be released until 2001, 18 months after his daughter disappeared. Searchers come up empty-handed. Only a few possible clues are found, such as a pair of rubber gloves. But the search leaves authorities with only one possible conclusion, that Tika Lewis is the victim of foul play, something her mother is not ready to accept. She spent this day handing out pictures of her little girl. I believe my daughter's still alive, and I'll never give up hope. Now, because the person involved was a missing child, the FBI and the Centre for Missing and Exploited Children would quickly become involved, especially now considering it was widely accepted that Tika had been abducted. That foul play was most likely involved. The Tacoma Police Department worked with the FBI in conducting parallel investigations. One focused on the possibility Tika was taken by someone known to the family, and the other focused on the possibility she was taken by a stranger. More than two dozen detectives were assigned to work on the case full-time for the first month following Tika's disappearance. They worked tirelessly around the clock to find the missing toddler. In the days and weeks that would follow, the police interviewed most people that were at the bowling alley that night, many of them more than once. No one claimed to see or hear anything unusual that night. No child being grabbed against her will. No child screaming or yelling for their mama. Although we are talking about more than 300 people at the bowling alley that night, talking and laughing, drinking and eating, balls bowling and pins dropping, music playing... I could completely see a toddler being grabbed quickly close to an exit without anyone seeing. Because there was no surveillance footage available, police relied on the patrons to provide home videos and photographs of that night. But unfortunately, they were out of luck. No one had anything of worth to share. Two people would report seeing something suspicious that night. One wouldn't be reported until years and years later. And because my OCD is a slave to timelines, we will get to that later. However, it was released publicly one bowling alley employee reported seeing a car, possibly a late 1980s or early 1990s model maroon or purple Pontiac Grand Am. This car sped out of the parking lot around 10.30 the night Tika went missing, almost running her down. She initially wrote it off as crazy teenagers enjoying the weekend night without responsibility. But then she heard about Tika, and she reported it just in case. At the time, it didn't appear anything was thought of it, and it wasn't followed up further. Three days after Tika was last seen, search dogs would lead investigators to a bushy area across the street from the bowling alley. 
It was here, seemingly stashed or discarded under a bush, was a pile of men's clothing. A navy blue wool peacoat with the initials IS or JS written on the back label. Off-white Lee brand jeans and a Columbia brand button-down plaid shirt. Now, Washington is known for its damp environment, so clothing that is left outside for any length of time will develop mould or mildew fairly quickly. But this set of clothing was clean, so based on this, it was determined that the clothes had been discarded there recently. Spokesperson for the Tacoma Police, Jim Mathis, was quoted as saying, at the point the clothing is evidence, unquote. And while the timing of this clothing being found was suspicious, there was nothing to tie it to Tika's disappearance, then or today, 23 years later. But they were taken into evidence. Now, it's not clear if they were ever tested for available DNA or if they are in the evidence locker now. One week later, on January 30th, 1999, the television show America's Most Wanted filmed a reenactment to generate more attention to the case. Now, of course, this attracted bystanders who came from all over the county to watch the big-time news program in their city. But afterwards, a tipster would contact the police to report a suspicious man. This man was tall and burly with brown curly hair, a thick moustache and an acne-scarred face. Now, remember this description because it will come up again several times in our story. Police didn't really see any importance to this report at the time. The man wasn't doing anything wrong, so it was just added to the case file and not followed up further. This may have been a mistake that they would come to regret in the decades that followed. The person that did this knew what they were doing. They could have got away. But Tico was to want to scream at any stranger. She was a mama's girl. She would only come to mama, her sisters, and her babysitter, and her cousin Sarah. She wouldn't go to nobody else. So I don't understand how this person got away with my daughter. Four months after Tika disappeared, the body of a headless African-American girl was found. Teresa never believed for a second this was her daughter. She believed then, and still believes to this day, that Tika was taken by someone who wanted to raise her as their own. This would later be determined in 2005 not to be Tika, but the body of missing three-year-old Erica Michelle Green, otherwise known as Precious Doe. I won't go into too much detail here because we plan to cover Erica's disappearance and murder in an upcoming episode. It was a horrific crime and Erica is deserving to have her story told. There has never been any indication the two cases are connected, but the two cases are always mentioned in passing with each other, which is why we are mentioning it here today. In 2001, another unidentified murdered toddler girl was found this time in Kansas City, Missouri. Police were so certain this was Tika that they told Teresa to expect the worse. However, after a DNA comparison, it was revealed this baby doe was not Tika either. The bowling alley no longer exists. A Home Depot now stands in its place. In 2002, when the land was being prepared for the new development, investigators kept a close eye on the progress. They believed there was a good possibility that Tika's remains would be found there. Quote, If you talk to a hundred police officers, they would all say that she was probably dead. They would say that she was near the bowling alley somewhere. We just haven't found her yet. 
unquote. But they were wrong and nothing was ever found. April 2006. Teresa was notified by a Texan private investigator that he had found a girl he believed was Tika Lewis. This girl was living in an RV park in Dallas, Texas with her mother. This private investigator was convinced this girl was really the missing girl. Tacoma police weren't as confident. The girl had different birthmarks to Tika, but to ensure all leads were followed up correctly, the FBI ordered a DNA testing so they could be certain. It was an agonising wait for Tika's family, even though authorities didn't believe the children were one and the same. When your child is missing, you would hold on to any chance. All you have left is hope. But ultimately, it was determined the child in Texas was not Tika. This potential match did bring the case back into the headlines, though, and this would result in new tips being called in to detectives. No solid leads were developed, but a reward of $27,000 was announced for any information leading to the recovery of Tika and the prosecution of her abductor. Investigators were hopeful the money would bring forward someone who knew what happened to Tika. Detectives also released never-seen-before home video of Tika that had been taken at a family Christmas celebration just one month before she went missing. They hoped this would help jog memories and urge people to think back, to try and recall if anyone they knew had suddenly started acting differently or suspiciously because police believed that Tika had been taken by someone who was local to the Tacoma area, and that there were people still living in the area who likely knew what happened to the little girl. October 2009. Tika's photo and description was featured on the side of Gordon Trucks, which travelled all over the United States. This was part of the Homewood Bound program, a program introduced by the Washington State Patrol and Gordon Trucking, to help find missing children. Under this program, photos of 25 missing children have been featured since 2006. In October 2009, Tika was selected to be featured alongside four-year-old Leona Jones, who also went missing from the Tacoma area in 1995. From all these initiatives, police received a few tips, but none were substantial, and Tika's case would again go cold. A year later, 2010, during their annual candlelight vigil, a man approached Teresa and told her that he had psychic visions and he believed Tika was buried at Point Defence Park. And Point Defence Park is only about six miles away from the new Frontier Lanes bowling alley. This left Teresa feeling uneasy and confused that he would tell her and not report his beliefs to detectives. So Teresa went to the police with the information the men had told her, and after they spoke to the men, they decided what he told them was credible enough to warrant a follow-up investigation, and an excavation of the area was ordered. A few days later, investigators dug up an 8 by 12 foot section of the Native Garden area at Point Defence Park. It is not clear what exactly they were looking for, but they did not find any evidence relating to Tika's disappearance. July 2012 Detectives searched a home in Tacoma belonging to John William Black. Black had been at New Frontier Lanes on the night of Tika's disappearance, and he had pled guilty to attempting to abduct a three-year-old child 
at another Tacoma bowling alley, Tower Lanes, in October 2010. Cadaver dogs were brought in and they hit on a specific area in his backyard. His yard was dug up, but again nothing was found. He denied having anything to do with Tika's disappearance and he was eventually cleared as a suspect. People volunteered to help in the search. You had 200 police officers involved in the search. You had the, the dogs, the search dogs who were out there, all looking for some clues, um, trying to find any leads, anything uh, that would shed some light on what happened to this two-year-old girl. But despite all these resources and all these people looking, volunteers, police officers, helicopters, infrared, uh, bloodhounds on the ground, they found nothing. 2020. Tika's missing persons case was reopened. As part of this, police released a witness statement of a 17-year-old who was at the bowling alley with his family the night Tika went missing. The teen went into the restroom and bumped into a man coming out. This man bumped him quite hard, and he just kept going without apologising. This man was in his 30s, around 5 foot 11, with long curly brown hair. He had pock marks on his face as well as a moustache. The same description as the man reported acting suspicious at the America's Most Wanted reenactment a week after Tika's abduction. But at the time the teen had the interaction, the man who was white was carrying a little girl who looked mixed race. Now at the time the teen just assumed this rude man was simply a man with his daughter and really didn't think that much of it. But then he saw Tika on the news the next day and he just knew this was the little girl he saw with the men at the bowling alley. He and his father went to report what he had seen to police. But for reasons that really aren't clear, a formal statement was never taken at the time. It wouldn't be until the reinvestigation in 2020 that this teen would be formally interviewed about what he saw that night. It was during this reinvestigation several other incidents leading up to Tika's disappearance came to light, even one only hours earlier and all involved a mysterious, acne-scarred, bushy-haired, moustached man. Two months before Tika's disappearance, there was another incident at the New Frontier bowling alley where a four-year-old boy was sexually molested in the bathroom. Another patron had walked in and found this poor little boy lying in the bathroom stalls. The suspect responsible for this vile and disgusting act was described as being a white male in his 30s, of medium build with shoulder-length scraggly or curly brown hair. He had a large nose, a moustache, and had pock marks on his face. Sound familiar? Now, for some reason, neither the bowling alley nor the boy's father would report this incident to police, which blows my mind. Why wouldn't you report this? Not only because this horrific crime was committed against this poor and defenceless child, but also as a parent... Wouldn't you want this person off the streets they didn't hurt another child? Regardless, it was not reported, and only a few weeks later, a man of a similar description allegedly attempted to lure a six-year-old boy from the same arcade area of the same bowling alley. This man grabbed the boy's hand, who automatically started getting worked up and pulling away. When this garnered attention, the man would insist he was the boy's father which seemed to be working until the boy's actual parent came looking for her son, and then the man fled. And wouldn't you know it, again it doesn't appear a police report was made, or even that the police were contacted at all. Things seemed to escalate again on the day Tika went missing, because only a few hours before Teresa would realise she couldn't find her two-year-old, 
a man of the same description was seen at a local park, less than a mile from the bowling alley. He was talking to two young boys and trying to convince them to come into the restroom with him. Fortunately, in this case, the boys' father intervened and chased the man from the scene. The man jumped into a dark blue 1999 Pontiac Grand Am, but the father let it go and didn't contact the police to report what happened. Not until three days later, when he saw Tika's story on the local news. I think we can take something away from this. If we see something that isn't quite right, that leaves us feeling uneasy. Right up to someone acting inappropriately to us or a loved one. It might be easier and less embarrassing, maybe, to move on and think we're overreacting and let it go. If all these incidents were reported at the time, maybe, just maybe, Tika would not have been abducted. Or possibly given the police's habits in this case to just file away reports, maybe it wouldn't have made a difference. But maybe it would. And it's the not knowing, it's that possibility, that maybe it would have made a difference to another situation. Regardless, the cold case detectives are certain that the description of the pockmarks are an important key. If all the witnesses thought this was a distinguishable feature, it must be an important clue. Now, it could be a coincidence and not connected, that this man is not the same man and just similar-looking different men. But to me, the same area, the same description, or similar attempted abductions or assaults against children or similar ages. It's all too much for me to be just a coincidence, especially when you consider the same car was seen in an attempted abduction at the park and Tika's disappearance. Now, these incidents were never connected in 1999. It was only during the reinvestigation in early 2020 that detectives began to put all this together. Detective Lindsay Wade, head of the cold case unit, would front the media about the incidents to state, quote, I can't say for certain if all these incidents are related, or if they're not related, but there's a possibility they are given the Pontiac Grand Am. In a lot of abduction cases, these guys will make several attempts before they are successful. They will get involved in incidents like exposing themselves or luring. Teresa told reporters that if this man is the man who took Tika, then she accepts her daughter is now dead. She is held on to hope that someone abducted Tika to raise them as their own child, but she realises that she was most likely taken by a child predator who then killed her. Over the years, detectives have followed up on more than 700 tips. They have travelled to Florida, Kansas, Texas, Colorado and California, chasing down potential leads, making Tika's disappearance the largest case file on Tacoma's cold case unit. And unfortunately... No trace of Tika and what happened to her has ever been found. Because she has sisters that need to know her, that want her home. She has a grandma that's about to turn 80 on Sunday. And she would love to see her granddaughter one more time. Tika's mother, Teresa, believes to this day her daughter is still alive somewhere. She has submitted her DNA to online ancestry sites. So if Tika is out there somewhere, maybe she'll be curious and research her family history, which will connect her to the missing child cold case. Now, of course, unfortunately, if Tika had met with foul play and her body is one day discovered, then the DNA will help identify her as well.
As time went by, it seems that Teresa and Tika's father Robert reconciled and married following his release from prison. The couple have tried to keep things somewhat normal for their children. As Tika's little sister Tamika got older, she looked almost identical to her missing sister. One neighbour even called the police to report Tika was no longer missing, and when the police went to the Lewis home to investigate, it was actually Tamika playing in the front yard with her mother. The neighbour had mistaken Tamika for her missing older sister. Teresa's mother and Tika's grandmother Mary would cover her van and missing posters and flyers, making sure that everywhere she went people knew her granddaughter was missing. Right up until her death in 2018, she never gave up on finding Tika, who Mary always referred to as my little old lady. And like Teresa, Mary believed that Tika was still alive and being raised by another interracial couple who had lost or couldn't have their own baby. Each year, Teresa holds a candlelight vigil at the site of Tika's disappearance on her birthday. Dozens of family and friends are in attendance, quote, I've missed 20 years of birthdays and Christmases. I've missed my baby's first day of preschool, kindergarten and graduation. I've missed all of that. I want my baby home. Why should I go another 20 years without my daughter? Unquote. January 23, 2022 marked 23 years since Tika went missing. No one has given up on her, especially her mother, Teresa. The FBI, Tacoma Police Department and the Centre for Missing and Exploited Children still want to find her. But at the time of this recording, there are no substantial leads, only hope. And sometimes hope is all you need, said Teresa, quote, She was there. I looked back and she was gone. Every child that is found out there, it just makes me think my child is one day closer to coming home. Unquote. I pray every day my daughter comes home. Just give me my baby back. I know she's not a baby no more. She's 16. I've missed 14 birthdays. And it's time to bring her home. Give me a Christmas miracle. Bring my baby home to me. That's what I want. That's all I ask for every Christmas is bring me my baby home. Because I know she's out there. She's out there somewhere. And that person that knows the information needs to come forward. Tika Lewis was two years old at the time of her disappearance. She was 3, 4, 10, 35 pounds with brown eyes and black hair with natural red highlights and a grey streak on the front right centre of her hair. She had these adorable deep facial dimples and patches of light discoloration on her face because of childhood eczema. However, this most likely would have become less noticeable as she got older and reached adulthood. Tika is biracial, of African-American, Caucasian and Native American descent. She was last seen wearing a green Tweety Bird sweatshirt or t-shirt. It is reported as both. White sweatpants and black and white Air Jordan sneakers. She was last seen carrying a clear purse with a fish design, carrying some change and starburst candies. Tika was asthmatic and may require medical attention, as well as the use of an inhaler and ventilator. However, like with the eczema, 
she may have very well grown out of the asthma and it may no longer affect her. If Tika is still alive today, she would be 25 years old. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Tika Lewis, please contact the Tacoma Police Department on 253 798 4721. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook, like the page so you don't miss an episode, and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. 